When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When we go out there with a defensive mindset uh, and a defensive mentality, uh, we have a chance to win. And when we don't, uh, we don't give ourselves a chance. You know, it didn't happen against Purdue. And we kept guarding in that game. And we gave ourselves a chance because we had a very good defensive stretch, our best defensive game of the season. And we show what we're capable of when we go out uh, with that mentality. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave Honky. Mac and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. It's 2020, and with that comes New Year's resolutions. And so I've decided all you Husker realists out there have been right, and I'm no longer going to drink the Kool-Aid. Gone are the days of the 12-0 and predictions. This year, it's a more reasonable 11-1. and <laughs> Wow, what a level-headed thought there from Honky. I'm sure that'll hold up all the way through the uh, offseason. I'm also with Boomer. I just would like to advise the Redcasters now that the college football season is done and well behind us. We can move on to basketball and other sports. And Wait, wait, hold on. I'm getting worried. It's still going on? Oh, for the love of God, is this is this going to end? <laughs> uh, well, uh, at least for this Redcast, we may have a little bit of a focus on basketball because uh, we uh, just heard from Fred Hoiberg there in the intro. And uh, ironically, that was actually after a 20-point loss to Rutgers that Fred is talking about the defensive performance. And we're recording the Redcast here right after Nebraska came back and beat Iowa 76-70 to in a uh, home victory. And uh, that defensive intensity was there tonight, Honky. We had more competitive numbers on the defensive rebounding. Had a really great game plan uh, by Doc Sadler to kind of get Luca Garza out of his comfort zone there. Uh, Iowa didn't uh, shoot well from three at all. And offensively, we found enough enough points. Uh, Thor had a great game. Cam had 10 assists. And uh, ultimately, we uh, make enough free throws at the end to to win the fourth straight home game against the Hawkeyes. Uh, you got to be happy with that victory, hey? Uh, I'm ecstatic by it. And, you know, there was a nice start to the game, getting up 7 nothing on them right away. I think that kind of kicked it off. And, I mean, really, only one or two times in the second half did they even get the lead on us. So we really had control over the game for most of the 40 minutes. But, yeah, defensively, I mean, I think what we were out-rebounded by one defensive rebound, yeah. you know, against a much bigger team. That was a tough-nosed, hard-nosed kind of game that we were played. I love seeing Easley out there. It seemed like we kind of replaced some of the minutes that maybe Gervais Green would have been getting with, with Easley. Yeah, we did. And I, I don't know if that's a permanent thing or if it's just a one-night thing, but uh, I love the effort that these guys gave. It's hard to jump on one game and say, hey, you know, now we're going to go win 50% of the rest of the games in the conference. I'm not quite jumping on that, but, boy, enjoy tonight because this was a fun one. Yeah, Hockey's got a good point there, you know. I mean, it, this is a roller coaster of a season if I ever saw one, right? And you may get critical of this team at times because of the performance you see versus Rutgers or North Dakota where they just didn't come out and play well. Uh, but then you see them against Iowa, against Indiana versus Purdue. 
and uh, you you see what uh, Fred Horberg is building there, and it's difficult to be patient. Husker fans are just tired of being patient, but um, you are starting to see some of that foundation of the Fred Horberg program get set with this team right now, right? Yeah, and that's kind of what makes this season fun and better than I think what it could have been. Sure, you're disappointed with losses to North Dakota and Riverside, but it's Nebraska ball. We always expect tragedy and the worst and, you know, life is going to suck. The incarnate word. Then we go out and win games like this where if you're asking people at the start of the season, you're asking sports writers, you know, where's Nebraska ball going to finish? I don't, you know, what are we, 2-2 two and two right now in conference? And yeah. that game against Indiana was winnable too. There's flashes of fun in this team and it's fun to watch when they click and they play well. And it's nice to see a team, you know, like Iowa come in here and I think they shot like 12% from three-point range. <laughs> yeah. Teams normally come in here and shoot like 90% from three-point against us. So, you know, once in a while, luck's starting to break our way, and you can see what sort of things happen. They're still going to struggle in the year. There's going to be, you know, horrible tragedies and implosions, but <laughs> there's going to be games like this that are fun to watch, and it just makes it worthwhile. It- to your point there, Boomer, on the Big Ten so far is that we have one game, Rutgers, where we were relatively uncompetitive. But the other loss was an overtime loss on the road to Indiana. And then we have two home victories. All you can ask for you know, from this team at this present moment, I think, going forward, considering how it's kind of learning uh, how to be competitive on a day-to-day basis, is seeing uh, these competitive Big Ten games. The Big Ten basketball conference is really good this year. They could get nine or ten teams in, I think. Rutgers, a team that played very well against us, uh, could be one of those teams uh, quite likely. And so if we're competitive in a lot of our games, uh, I think that's a really good sign. There's been some really good articles written about Hoiberg at his Iowa State days, right? We're talking about his 10-game losing streak at Iowa State in, in year one and how that helped build into you know success already in year two. And also just his mentality with his, um, you know, all of his heart condition and, and all those different things and how he brings that to the table with his team. And you see see the effort that Thor and, and Charlie easily bring to that table and how the offense works better. And I'll be interested to see how, how this offense continues to evolve. And they still got to shoot better and they miss too many threes and they miss too many free throws. But Honky, you got to be excited about the, the effort these guys are starting to put forth. If we just start seeing that on a more consistent basis, it at least will be a fun season to watch them compete in the Big Ten. Yeah, and to your point, Dave, this conference, compared to what Hoiberg was coaching in when he was in the Big 12, when he did have that losing streak you mentioned, this is a different beast here in the Big Ten. I think the last I saw, we had 10 teams ranked in the top 50 in the Ken Palm. There was the year a couple years ago where, you know, we only got the four teams in and Nebraska got, you know, hosed and we should have made the NCAAs and we didn't. This is the exact opposite type of year. This is not going to be the year where the Big Ten's getting four and five in there. This is going to be a a loaded bunch. And so this is a a tough gauntlet for us to go through. But you got to love the toughness that they're showing right now. And like I said, enjoy these games. I'm not, I still, my expectations are very, very reasonable for this first season. There's They can go lose in North, to Northwestern this weekend, Honk. I'm certain of that. They can do that. Absolutely. Uh, and they may, but uh, you hope that they uh, can be competitive in most of the Big Ten games and win a few, you know? That's exactly what I want to see. I want to see competitiveness and I want to see something that is building upon itself. And if by the end of this season, if you feel like you've got a, a good solid five or six guys coming back at the very least that have been playing, and you have three guys on the bench that you feel are pretty good, so now that gets up into that eight, nine, ten category of guys, and you know they're going to bring in a couple more too, if that's what you're looking at coming into year two, that's a pretty solid starting spot. I mean, this season, 
I, I just feel like I'm finally now figuring out some of the guys' names. And so, you know, to see them be able to pull off a couple of these wins and play competitive like they have against some really good teams, I mean, you have to balance that out with the fact that, yeah, we, we're going to have a couple of bad losses along the way too. Absolutely. All right, well, you know, I think uh, the, the basketball team, we've got uh, a long ways to go in the Big Ten season. Hopefully we get a few more of these uh, fun conversations after victories and uh, hope everyone sticks with the team because uh, they seem to be going in the right direction. You getting cold this winter? Then warm up your soul by getting your ass to Plowboys, the award-winning Kansas City barbecue that is now in Lincoln. Brisket, pulled pork, baby back ribs, barbecue nachos, burnt ends, and more. Call ahead and pick up your order or pull up a chair and pair that meal with a frothy mug of beer. You can find us located inside of Berries on 9th Street. Now delivering to your home and office. And party planners, sit back, relax, and let us cater your next event as you win over the love and respect of your friends, family, and coworkers. Feel that winter heat with a plate full of mouth-watering meat at Plowboys Championship Barbecue. Tell them the Redcast sent you and receive a free high five. Hell yeah! And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. All right, guys, let's put our scarlet colored glasses on and talk all things Husker football. And uh, there has been some happenings uh, there in the North Stadium in Lincoln and uh, the coaching change. We have a uh, departure. Uh, Jovan DeWitt has left uh, the staff, has joined Mac Brown's staff there in North Carolina. And so now Scott Frost has the task of uh, filling that position. Uh, Honky, has this come to a, a surprise to you at all? Well, considering that it kind of gotten out about a week ago, I mean, it wasn't a shock to me when it when it happened. I know Frost wants to keep the continuity together, but I still think you're going to have a guy or two, you know, every year probably move around. That's just kind of the the way college football is anymore. A year ago, it was Mike Dawson who left, and it sounds like his name continues to come up as being the guy that might come back from the Giants and come back here and, and take DeWitt's position. I, you know, I just I wish the best for the guy with the move to North Carolina and. If it is Dawson, I mean, I, I think that's a good pick to get this guy back here. I'm I'm actually intrigued by getting him getting in here. Yeah, it is interesting from a recruiting perspective. Probably was more productive than what mm-hmm. Dewitt was. I, I remember right, Ty Robinson was one of uh, the guys that Dawson brought in, and that's a that's a pretty big get out of Arizona there. So and and he has East Coast connections. So had Orn or the uh, the New Jersey connections that w- could be really valuable in the future, right? Uh, Ramir Johnson, for example. Boomer, so Dawson, even though he was our D-line coach last year, he uh, I think he was actually coaching outside linebackers for the Giants and has special teams coordinator duties uh, in previous stints. Uh, do you feel like it's just a simple swap out here where uh, Dawson comes back and, and fills both roles that uh, DeWitt was having last year? Well, it seems like an easy transition if that's the route Frost wants to take. You know, the familiarity is there, and it would be an easy way to slide somebody back in here with minimal disruption. So if that's what they're looking for, that's probably a a good approach. You know, it might be worth even, you know, looking outside a little bit and trying to bring something fresh in because we certainly needed some sort of improvement on special teams the last couple seasons. So maybe it is worth looking, you know, a little differently and trying to shake a few things up. Boomer, we had a question in our Plowboys Barbecue and a mailbox uh, from Facebook from Justin Bank, and he asked to our special teams coordinator, Boomer, 
Uh, who would you like to see as Nebraska's new outside linebackers and special teams coach? And I don't know if you have a name in particular, but just if nothing else, what are the traits or what are the things that you want to see and whoever we end up getting? Ohio State is the the benchmark of success in the Big Ten. They are the best team in the conference far and away, and teams should look at what they do and see what we can learn from it. And one of the things you do if you watch Urban Meyer on you know the Big Ten Network or read articles about him in the past, he took a very big interest in special teams play at Ohio State. He may have named a coordinator sometimes, but he was at basically all the special teams meetings. He was there seeing what they were doing. If there were issues, he'd deal with them. It doesn't seem like Frost has quite taken that role at this point, it, and that's kind of what I want to see. I want to see our head coach get in there and say, mm-hmm. you know, this is a huge part of the game. I mean, it's a third of the game as much as, you know, it's not glamorous, it's not fun, but it's key to the game. We've talked about it ad nauseum over and over, and that's a big part of it. And what Ohio State does, that's what Urban Meyer wanted to do. He wanted to, He was a special teams coach. He was handed that when he was at Notre Dame, and he started, and he thought it was important, and he carried that through with at Ohio State. He His players actually had had to play on special teams before he'd allow them to play on offense or defense. Now, they have the luxury at Ohio State of having, you know, four and five stars, you know, up the yin-yang where other teams don't quite have that. But I think that's a good approach. It emphasizes the importance of it. And if the head coach, it starts from the top, if they stress the importance of it, it's going to trickle down to everybody else. Yeah, and we have a whole slew of redshirt freshman guys, uh, guys that can be right there to step into some of those roles. We have walk-ons that have been in the program for two or three years now. They can step into some of those roles. And to your point, Boomer, We were so bad at special teams across the board last year. I mean, there wasn't really any one area that I'd say we excelled in. And when you start to look at how razor thin close we were in some of those games, we could have been nine and three and we could have been three and nine and special teams literally without being any better on offense or defense, we could have been a lot closer to that nine and three number. If special teams would have simply been better. And I love the idea of really the head coach from him on down making this that top priority. Yeah, Boomer, I think you hit the nail on the head here in the sense of, you know, the head coach, if they care about special teams, that's going to trickle down to everyone else. Players that are looking to get playing time, if they're impressing their head coach on special teams, that's going to make a difference. And so, you know, whoever is our special teams coordinator, Scott Frost probably needs to have a little bit more of a a say in, in a lot of that activity and uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if this is the last change that we have in the coaching staff uh, going forward and how that shakes out. Yeah, we have another question, Dave, uh, from the keg in our Plowboys Barbecue a inbox. And it's just that right there. It's what are the chances another Husker coach leaves? Well, sounds like Dawson is pretty much near a lock to replace DeWitt. I mean, I don't want to jump the gun on that one, but it seems pretty logical that he is back. Yeah, but there could be additional change. I think there's a... It, it's a 50-50 situation there that we could have a little bit more turnover, you know, maybe on the offensive side of the ball. It's hard to tell exactly uh, where that could go, but that could be interesting to see. There's some interesting names out there. The first one that uh, has been floated around quite a bit, whether it's an actual coaching position or even if there is no change, uh, we could hire someone like uh, Mark Helfrich mm-hmm. as an offensive analyst, right? Uh, Helfrich was Frost coach at, at Oregon. 
Uh, Frost was his OC. Holfrick got fired from that position, but he's still a well-respected coach, obviously. Uh, he was with the Bears. Uh, they've made a change there. And so he's now a free agent, essentially. And uh, it, let's start using some of that Big Ten money to bring coaches in like that, even if it's for one year, mm-hmm. uh, to help you know look at what we're doing internally and, and learn the best practices externally. So that would be great. If he, he was available for a coaching position, I would snag him in a second. You know, to that point, after Diaco got fired at Nebraska, he ended up going down to Oklahoma for a year to be a defensive analyst. I mean, here was a guy that was a Broyles Award winner that ends up, you know, as an analyst for a year. And now, as we've learned since we last recorded, Diaco's back at Purdue, and we're going to be playing him in game one. So that's great. Break out your RL sweaters, everybody. The strain. <laughs> <laughs> well, and tell you what, Boomer, that guy could coach punters. I don't know he, what he could do defensively. He sure could. He could coach yeah, that is true. Yeah, our special teams improved when he showed up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess to your, your point there, Hockey, is sometimes it's the right fit and the right time is the personnel. You know, Diaco's. Louisiana Tech defense looked pretty good against Miami in that bowl game, and uh, sometimes it's uh, the right fit at the right time for some of these these coaches. You know, um, I was listening to I think it was Severe and Benning, but I'm going to forget uh, something this morning. And uh, Mickey Joseph was on, who is the LSU uh-huh. wide receivers coach, and uh, I've heard his name thrown out as someone that could potentially come back. Obviously, Husker connections there, but also. Uh, doing great stuff down there, a uh, good recruiter in Louisiana, and you know has seen the ins and outs of that offense that's been so uh, dynamic this year with Joe Brady, the passing coordinator. So uh, that'd be an intriguing situation. Yeah, Jeff Nixon, the uh, offensive coordinator at Baylor, the dad of Will Nixon, the Husker recruit. Obviously, Baylor, it's looking like Matt Rule's going to be going to Carolina, I think is what I was reading today. So yeah, you know, right. who knows what happens there. And again, we're not there's not even a position to talk about right now that's open. We're just saying names. And yeah. it's the same thing with defense. We're all pretty sure that Mike Dawson, it sounds like he'll be here, but just the fact that that position opened up, opened up other options like Carlos Polk is out there and he's a special teams coach with, yeah. you know, the the Cowboys and prior with that, he was with the Chargers and Doug Coleman's out there and has done, you know, linebacking and special teams. And what about Tom Rathman? Tom, Tom Rathman will be on every <laughs> coaching search ever. And Bill Bush, uh, Bill Bush is at LSU, you know, right now, secondary coach. It, this actually led to a good question that we put out there on Twitter and we got some great responses from people on it. When there's an opening on the Husker staff, what is the most important factor you hope for in a candidate? Was it position experience, recruiting prowess, state-slash-Husker connection, or other? And over 50% said the position experience, uh, 41% said recruiting prowess, and only 4.5% uh, said the Husker connection, 35 said said other. Specifically, Scott Day said you know, he wants people to be able to coach the person you recruit not only as a player but a person. Captain Bug Eater said history of success. And I think Corey had a really good one here. He says, can handle the fan base. And I, I was actually like, that really makes sense. It's somebody that understands the culture here. Somebody that understands the scrutiny that you are under. Somebody that understands that, yeah, I'm going to come in and be an outside linebackers coach or whatever the position is, and I don't have anonymity. People know who you are here. <laughs> it's a really good point, Honky. You know, I, actually, when when I saw that post, that poll, I'm like, and that response from from Quarry about, about uh, being able to handle it, I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But uh, to your point, I mean... Very few other position coaches would ever have as much attention thrown to on as you do at Nebraska, which is especially if you're like an offensive line coach or something, right? As uh, Kavanaugh, right? 
And that is a little bit unique. The scrutiny that you are uh, here is pretty unusual and uh, it's limited to a very few amount of uh, schools. And so, I mean, in that case, being a, a former Husker, you are, you've already known that. It's not a surprise mm-hmm. to you whatsoever. And in that way, it is a, an advantage, I suppose. Yeah, I've always said if all things are equal between two candidates and one of them is a former Husker and the other one's not, then, yeah, I think that tips the scale if that's an extra thing. I don't think you just go out there and, oh, you, hey, you used to wear the in. You're, you're automatically going to get this position or that position. And I, I don't really know anybody that suggests that. But it makes sense to try to find people that have connections to the programs when positions are opening up. You know, whatever that connection may be, whether it's a former player or it's a dad of a recruit or it's a whatever it is, it makes sense to try to find people that have some connection. Sure. You know, and Frost clearly went out of his coaching tree to get uh, his defensive line coach sure. to replace Dawson, right? So he's willing to to stretch those bounds. Uh, let's not expect that he's just going to bring in a Husker just because he wants the familiarity. I think the Tuioti example is a great one, Dave. A year ago, it made sense at least for Perella's name to come up. He was a guy that had recruited D linemen. It wasn't just that he was a former Husker, but he had connections, right? It made sense for his name to come up in the conversation. And yet Frost went with Tuioti and, and I think he's acclimated himself very well to the culture here in Nebraska and, and he's doing a great job, you know, going out there and recruiting kids and, and coaching D linemen. So it's a fun conversation, I guess, at the end of the day. But yeah, I, I, I think some people it was just funny on Twitter, some people were getting a little chippy about how much uh anytime a position opens up, you know, a husker name ends up popping up and it's like, Well Hey Boomer, do we have any like Distant relatives of uh, Dana X Bible or uh, Jumbo or anybody else that uh, still is coaching right now? <laughs> yeah, sadly, Jumbo died pretty young, so I, he didn't leave a you know, big tree behind him. But uh, I could look at Dana X and see what he had. Or, you know, Bummy Booth maybe had a there you, you know, go some kids that are still out there. I mean, they were they were quality on the D line at least. So. <laughs> well, speaking of former coaches. Uh, that was another Twitter question we had, and this was kind of more of an audience-based question. I, I think you guys might enjoy this one, is that I just want to get some feel for like who the Redcasters are out there. Like, What is your experiences? Because you guys are listening to us, and I don't know if you're all 20 years old or if you're all 80 years old or, or, or where in between, right? So on Twitter, and we've had over about 1,500 votes between Twitter and Facebook so far on this, basically asking who was the head coach when you first started following Husker football. And about 80% of this ends up being – either Devaney, Osborne, and it's about 20% is is anything other than that. I'm guessing most of you are, are younger ones. So, you know, still 80% of the, the followers, you keep hearing about that we need to start winning titles now because, you know, our fan base is is forgetting what it was like to win them. And, and right now, at least from Redcast Nation, 80% of you guys and gals know a lot about winning titles. You you are That's fresh in your memory. You know, you just want to see it happen again. Yeah, that's a that's a great stat. How many um actually started following the Huskers with Devaney as coach? Uh, fifteen percent right now says uh, Devaney. That, that's a great number. I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm very pleased uh, that we have that that demographic group with us. You know, they have all that experience and and all these uh, great stories. Uh, and then you know that we have folks that have actually joined with Solich right as well, right? So yep, about nine point two percent said Solich. And then 10% said other. I think we even had a couple of Jennings and Glassford nice. tweets in there, if I remember right. There were a few people that put those out there. I'm, I'm still waiting for the Jumbo Steam one, but uh, that's going to be a little tricky. But It could be like one of those, like, you know, the wife of a Jumbo fan who, like, you know, married late. and 
Yeah, one of those kind of like like John <laughs> Tyler still has grandchildren alive or something like that. You know, yeah, one of those kind of things. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, let's move on to to roster management because we've talked a little bit about the coaching staff side of things, but there's been some roster movement that's happened here in the last couple of weeks, specifically with the transfer portal. We had another walk on Jordan Pop, if you remember him a couple of years ago. Actually, uh, I think it was Perella got him to come here as a walk on under Riley, and he's from Central City. Well, he went into the transfer portal. That is in addition to several other walk-ons, Andrew Bunch, Isaiah Stahlberg, Moses Bryant. This is part of the reality, I think, of, you know, we're a couple of years into the to the walk-on program. Uh, we're seeing great success with it. We love the kids that they're bringing in. And yet, after a couple of years, you're going to process some of those guys out too, or they're going to want to leave and maybe have a different opportunity too. So it's no different than than the, the actual scholarship recruits. We're seeing a little bit of the walk-on you know, movement, you know, kind of move around there. Yeah. Yeah. Honky, can I just add ad lib on this just a little bit, just for the fun of it? You know, I, I think everybody who grows up in Nebraska eventually has somebody in their, their family relationships that plays for the mm-hmm. Huskers. It feels like, right. Uh, my closest connection, uh, my aunt remarried into a family in, in Fremont and her stepson was a walk on running back for Nebraska in the early eighties. He played for Fremont Bergen. And uh, so they went to the Orange Bowl in '84, for example, and their their house, their patio had had turf from <laughs> Memorial Stadium, right? But um, uh, Bobby Kingston, uh, you know, was there for a few years, walked on, probably didn't play that much. He he ended up transferring out and finished his career somewhere else. So this has been happening for walk on type stories. Been happening. You have these successes where everybody has a uh, you know remembers a walk on that ends up earning a scholarship or goes to the NFL, like uh, like Scott Shanley or something like that. But there's tons of other walk ons that have a great experience, but they may not finish their entire careers there, and that that happens, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Because like my sister's husband, my brother-in-law, his family is related to Scott Shanley and some of the people up in St. Edwards. Uh, Dave, you are distantly related to the Frost family or Frost mom's side. Is that correct? I, I'm third cousins to Scott Frost. That is correct. I could see the resemblance. Oh, sure. I have uh, Larry Honky, who was a Husker back in the 70s, and he was a scholarship player back then. But he was uh, he was a player back in the early to mid-70s, I believe. So... Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's so funny. I actually I, I would love to get some feedback, Redcasters, you know, tweet at us or send us an email at gobigredcast at gmail. You know, if you're related or you have some kind of connection like that, let us know too. I just think that's kind of funny because it is Yeah, pictures would be great too. Oh yeah. yeah. Small state, you know, I mean we, we we all have some connection, right? Well, we also have new recruits that came in, or at least new recruit, and that is Randolph Kapai, K P A I, a six three, one hundred and eighty five pound linebacker from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So that brings us up to four recruits already in the 2021 class. And I love the start of this class, Dave. We have the top kid from Nebraska, Teddy Prochaska. We have a 6'6", 310-pound offensive lineman from an hour south of Iowa City, from Mount Pleasant, Iowa, coming here. We have another top player, the Kapai, there from South Dakota. So we're getting that 500-mile radius. And then we got a defensive end from uh, Florida. That's the perfect start to a class like this. That that's a Nebraska class. It's you go and you grab a Florida kid, you you take a kid from South Dakota, you get your best in-state guy. You know, that's already the beginnings, the makings of of what I think we just saw the last two classes. Really good classes that are a nice blend of local and national, and we talked about the roster management uh, a couple weeks ago how our sophomore class is pretty small, so I think as this goes on, we're going to see some JUCOs next year to try to fill into that sophomore class a little bit a year from now. But they're making more progress on the recruiting, do this year after year after year, and I think we're going to be in some good shape. 
Yeah, I think the Kapai is a, a nice grab there. Sounds like a very uh, high-level recruit. Again, out of um, Sioux Falls, I forget the, the high school, but that same same school that Nate Gary and the Farniocks. And, oh, so that'd be, is it like Washington yeah, high school? Yeah, I, I think, think so. Uh, three-time defending state mm-hmm. champs, that type of stuff. And so there's a real pipeline there, and we are continually getting the top player out of South Dakota. And these guys are are being recruited by Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin uh, because everybody wants that. Um, and, you know, back in the day when Nebraska was at its prime, we essentially considered, like, the Dakotas as a, a part of our, our state in, in-state recruiting practically, right? And so... Uh, it's a good sign that we're starting to be more consistent in getting the best players a- out of um, the Dakotas for certain. Yeah, it's interesting. When Mac and I went to the coaches clinic last spring, we talked with some coaches that were up there from uh, South Dakota that coach nine-man football, of all things. They do nine-man up there. But when we would play South Dakota State, who we actually played this year, there was a lot of fans that are Husker fans. They're season ticket-holding Nebraska fans that are from the state of South Dakota and they would come down here, you know, every week wear their red. And then when we played the Jackrabbits, they wore blue. And I, I, I'll i never forget, it was, gosh, 2011 or 2012, Pliny year, when we played South Dakota State. I don't know if I've ever seen more op- opponents' colors in the stadium than when we played South Dakota State. There was so much blue. And when I was talking with people, they were like, it is Husker fans that are wearing blue for that one game that, that are from South Dakota. So just kind of a interesting little side note there. Another side note, this came from uh, Mark Cranick from Hale Varsity, and he said in the three recruiting classes from 2016 to 18, Nebraska signed 17 running backs and wide receivers. Only three are currently on the roster. And with Mo Washington's departure, none of the nine running backs or wide receivers from Frost's first recruiting class in 18 are on the roster. So that really shows you some of the depth the depth gap that came from the transition of the coaching staffs and everything. It just shows where we're at a bit, but they're making great progress on it. And, I, and I'm excited to see some of these young guys get a chance. And and then they'll keep throwing in Juco guys like Omar Manning or like Dedrick Mills to try to supplement that depth. Yeah, I think I heard today on, on one of the radio shows, it's like there's 164 uh, players right now that released on the, the most recent roster and I mean, like, there's a crazy number, like 77 of them are either redshirt freshmen or two freshmen, including scholarship mm-hmm. and walk on, right? And obviously a lot of those, uh, currently true freshmen are going to redshirt themselves and that'll work out a little bit. But I mean, uh, it's a really young program right now. Uh, but the fact is a lot of these players now are actually Scott Frost guys and they really need to start producing. And we hopefully we'll see these guys start on special teams, for example, getting playing time and building up uh, that depth that we've been lacking, it feels like, for years at this present moment. Mm-hmm. Well, let's finish up this discussion with with one last question from the Barbecue and a uh, mailbox from Facebook. Boomer, I'll direct this to you. This is from Kay Omer. Uh, wait, now I'm going to conceal his identity. Kevin O. He asked, uh, do you believe Scott Frost and coaches are behind the recent drone activity in Colorado and Nebraska, and is this a new recruiting tool? I think the only sensible answer is yes. I mean, obviously, you're, you're leaving no stone unturned, no drone left unflown. I mean, you're trying to get those uh, people with those five-star hearts. What better way to do it than utilizing drone technology? So what other answer could there be? Hey, with Big Ten money, let's <laughs> let's buy a bunch of drones. and Well, darn straight. That makes perfect sense. Perfect. I completely believe it. It's time to sweep left. 
All right, fellas, let's uh, sweep left and talk about all things college football. So this is like the wide-angle view of everything in the college football universe, and uh, that seems very appropriate considering uh, we have one game left to play in uh, this uh, college football season, the national championship game next Monday between LSU and and Clemson awaits us. You know, actually, before we dive too far into that, uh, we might also get an update on the uh, the Go Big Red cast bowl pick'em, right? Uh, how, how's that going, Honky? Uh, you have any idea? I have not checked, so I have no idea. I, uh, for some reason, I've been checking relatively frequently because uh, Dave Redcast is uh, in the first place for the uh, bowl pick'em. And uh, I'm in the 99th percentile. I'm not bragging or anything. Just saying it was a lot of hard work and uh, it's paying off, you know. It sounds like a lot of bragging. No, no, no. I'm very humble and um, appreciative of my first place position that I will hold on to. Anyway. <laughs> well, congratulations, Dave. Thanks, thanks, thanks. I just wanted to prove how good I am actually at predicting uh, college football games. How'd the, how'd the regular season uh, Redcast results turn out there? Does anyone well, remember? I, 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 I lost focus there, and um, I wanted to reestablish my dominance. Gotcha. Um, okay, so. just checking. Dave, how did the uh, Iowa sportsbook go for you on uh, Saturday? When Yeah, so, so Honky and I did actually experience uh, live sports betting in the Midwest there. In uh, uh, council bets, I believe is as as producer Skip <laughs> likes to call it, and uh, it, it didn't go well, did it, Honky? Uh, I, I think I lost twenty or thirty bucks there. Um, and as you lost ten bucks yourself, is that right? I did. I came with ten bucks and I left with zero. But it was fun to play. That's right. And uh, so that was cool. And uh, we might try to do a little bit more of that going forward with uh, conversations about um, sports gambling. Uh, but I digress. Uh, let's uh, let's refocus on the playoff, right? And I, th- I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, leading up to this uh, this championship game, there's a great article on uh, ESPN.com. I believe Bill Connolly, I think, was uh, the author. You know, think of a retro look of like. What if we had the college football playoff for the last 40 years? How that would have changed history? And Nebraska played pretty prominently in that article. Early 80s, obviously, Nebraska was in that top four or five quite a bit there. And uh, not only the 1983 season that we're very familiar in and would have obviously been in a, a 14 playoff, but the 82 season, for example, uh, we would have had a shot to revenge our controversial loss to Penn State. There could have been a actually a bit of a Nebraska dynasty there. I mean, uh, in that scenario, Miami was actually fifth in the AP poll in 83 when we played them. So they wouldn't have even made a 14 playoff at that point. Um, wow. So that's another intriguing uh, angle. And then obviously uh, the 90s, uh, we could have uh, had a, some different uh, scenarios where we still could have obviously won three or more titles, but just in a little different um, you know scenarios. But uh, it, it's interesting to think about that that retro look, right, Boomer, where uh, there's uh, some alternative history, I guess. Yeah, I think it was an, just an interesting look at it. And I think if anyone honestly sits back and looks at it, would anyone have hated any of those years or the possible results that would have come from that? I mean, as opposed to what we ended up getting, which were just random bowl pairings that didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. I mean, even if we look at, like, the, uh, you know, the 83 season, you know, where we ended up losing to Miami, I think one of the premises of the articles was, like, oh, you know, if teams were given a mulligan, you know, here's how things could have shaken out. Well, Miami was handed a mulligan that year. They had a loss going into that game. Oh, a huge yeah, loss. Yeah, where Nebraska and Texas were undefeated going into the bowl games. And because of the bowl mm-hmm. pair-ups, they couldn't play each other. And it just so happened they both lost. And Auburn really got shafted that year. They 
honestly, I have no idea how they weren't national champions that year. I mean, Auburn is a yeah. regular loser in, in these weird scenarios. Miami skipped over Auburn. Auburn actually won their bowl game. I don't think that would happen today. I don't, I don't, well, obviously it can't happen, but. I think Auburn lost to, I don't even remember who Auburn's loss was to that year, but they beat well, they somebody who Bowl, beat Miami. Bowl. I mean, it's in, it, incomprehensible how Auburn wasn't national champs that year and Miami ended up being so. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, people who had that idea of, you know, the, oh, the playoffs, you know, render the regular season meaningless. Well, we've, that's a prime example of the regular season just kind of being meaningless in a way for a lot of teams. You had multiple teams going defeated in the regular season. Yeah, and sure. Auburn playing better than Miami did, and hey, Miami walked into a title. Hockey, I, I, the article, that's a, exactly right, Boomer, in the sense that I kind of reinforce the idea that the playoff, you know, one of the defenses of uh, the non-playoff era is that you had all these multiple split national championships, kind of like, you know, spreading the peanut butter around and you can, everybody can claim that title, but it kind of feels like just making the playoff is almost the equivalent of a split national uh, championship these days, you know, 1984 would have been an interesting scenario where I think Nebraska in, in the article would have made it in as the fifth seed because the fourth seed would have been like, I think Florida and they were uh, at a, on a bowl band because of some misdoings. And we would have had a chance as a five seed, essentially, getting into a 14 playoff and playing number one seeded BYU. Mm. Imagine that opportunity to actually take on Lavelle Edwards' team. And I, I guess my point there is that is like that would have been really a, an interesting and, and fun uh, opportunity to see all these matchups. And sure, you would have come up with one true champion out of the playoff instead of split national titles. But uh, you would have had a lot of teams being able to claim playoff bids at the same time. Yeah, it's funny that one of the knocks on the college playoff, and it's just the way it's worked out these first five years, it's a five or six team shuffle of, you know, you're going to get Oklahoma and Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia and, you know, Clemson, and it's just kind of the same teams. But, you know, the reality is if you look at who Nebraska played in the 80s because of bowl alliances – we ended up playing Miami a bunch of times, or we'd play Florida State, or we played LSU three times in the 80s. So we were playing similar matchups too, and the argument about if a college playoff had been there in the 80s, you could have seen maybe some matchups that you you wouldn't have normally seen. To that point, David, could have been a Nebraska-BYU game in 84, and that would have been fun. That would have been certainly different than what we ended up playing in in 84, which I think was an LSU team. We played LSU in 82, 84, and 86. We played Miami in 83 and two or three or four more times in the late 80s and early 90s. I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, getting repeat customers, that's what you got out of the old bowl system where you had so many tie-ins. Yeah, that was, that was, you know, something that the article kind of showed is that you saw Nebraska showed up a lot of times. You had your Miamis and Florida showed up on a regular basis. But you also saw teams pop in there that, in the old bowl system and even today, had no chance of ever getting into the national title. I mean, Syracuse had an appearance in there. Illinois showed up one year. I think, actually, they were paired up against us in 83 because Illinois was like 10-1. and 1. I mean, they were Big Ten champs that year. Uh, Iowa had an appearance in there. Uh, SMU, uh, West Virginia, I think, showed up in one of those things. So it was just, it would have been an mm-hmm. interesting way for a lot of teams to have a better opportunity. You know, they had good seasons, but because of the way the system was set up, essentially for the benefit of tourism in some random cities that have no connection to college football, that oh, you're not allowed to have an opportunity at a, at a championship. And it was just kind of a great way to illustrate that and, and kind of what we'd missed out on for decades because we were defending some guys in colored blazers and get, making sure they they have good jobs. Uh, that, that's a good point, Boomer. And 
hockey's right right now the first five years or so of the playoff it has been a limited pool of teams but i mean if you want to think of the positives maybe going forward as the playoff uh, matures we will have more diverse membership uh, in that playoff fraternity um, that could be really interesting, right? And uh, one way to do that potentially is expanding the playoff, adding uh, at least two, maybe four teams to it. And uh, there's been some interesting conversations about how that could happen. I think a lot of the conferences who have been resistant uh, resistant to this, um, including Jim Delaney, the now um, former Big Ten commissioner, kind of sees the writing on the wall that this is going to happen and they want to kind of take control of this somehow. Uh, one thing that was floated a few weeks ago out in the, in the public apparently is that there's a proposal uh, that some of the conference offices have seen um, where it's an 18 playoff, but they've incorporated the Bulls fully into it. Uh, right, Boomer, which um, I know you've, you've I think, are a proponent of an expanded playoff, but would love to see the first round games at home sites. So uh, what's your uh, kind of uh, thoughts on the expanded playoff scenarios? For the love of God, I, I don't understand the powers that be's infatuation with bowls and protecting those. And I, I will never understand the postseason structure of college football. If you would sit back and just tell a neutral observer, "This is why we're gonna. This is how we're gonna set up our postseason," they'd say, "What the hell is wrong with you? Why are you giving all your money to other cities, to pro stadiums, to cities that have nothing to do with your schools?" And they're right. That's just dumb. I mean, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. You know, I, I can see an argument where you know we need like some final destination where it's a neutral site and everything's fair for a you know a final thing but you know if you have to have something like that i think at dan wetzel and his death to the bcs book you know a decade ago if you got to have that then fine play it in the rose bowl it'd be kind of like omaha for the college world series it's a destination site it's the oldest bowl it makes sense ucla is never going to get there anyway so who the hell cares you know they're they're terrible anymore so that's fine i mean we can play that just to make everybody happy, we'll have that neutral site game. But it, it makes no sense not to play. But Boomer, that's not going to make everyone happy. No, it won't. Namely about you know, 100 million people in the southeast part of the country. it make Jim Delaney happy, though. Yeah, it'll make Jim Delaney happy, which is really what this all comes down to anyway. But uh, <laughs> it, but I, the system itself, it, it can be structured so easily where it, you can play games at college football sites, at college football towns, in stadiums that seat 70, 80, 90, 100,000 people in a college atmosphere and hey what a surprise a lot of those can be in the south or the southeast conference there's no reason these games have to be played in new orleans or atlanta or orlando or wherever you know they can be played in tuscaloosa they could be played in you know in in athens georgia they can be played in columbus or in lincoln that would be fun that's that's half the fun of this if i wanted to watch a game in a sterile pro atmosphere i'd go watch the nfl but i don't want to watch that talking about the nfl boomer i mean some of the arguments are like oh you don't want to play these playoff games in cold weather but the nfl yeah, plays their the playoff time. games in cold weather the team i enjoy seattle they're going to freaking green bay this week and people always say oh well you don't you don't have time to plan ahead well hell the nfl doesn't know where they're playing next week it's possible tennessee and houston could win games and you were playing games you know weird random teams win games you're playing in obscure stadiums that nobody likes yeah and those college towns are set up uh as long as it's on a saturday i suppose to actually handle a lot of yeah, stuff it can be right? done that's how they do it right the only difference i would give between a, an nfl town and most college towns NFL, nfl towns are large markets lots of hotel rooms and everything i could see there could be some logistics in an unexpected like hey 
Next weekend, 90,000 people are coming to Lincoln. I can see some logistics. I would say that's a good problem to have. I think Lincoln, the Lincoln Chamber of Commerce would appreciate that problem. Yeah, and we have that problem how many times a year anyway, where 90,000 people are coming to Lincoln. Yeah, but that's not unexpected. I mean, you prepare for that. That's that. That's the difference. You shouldn't I'm schedule a... Uh a something a, a conference at your convention center uh you know that week right i mean that that type of thing that's not an insurmountable problem is is, is my take on this whole thing it's it's something that can sure. be handled and another argument we get a lot of times is oh you're asking people to to travel all these you know away games oh we have to go to ohio state now well the way the system's currently set up we're asking people to travel to a conference championship game which is at a neutral site for everybody so everybody has to travel then you're asking them to travel to a, a first-round playoff game, so everybody has to travel, and then they're going to a, a national football title game. So there's three different times you're asking both fan bases to travel. If you're playing these at conference sites, well, at least half the fan base doesn't have to travel. That's a great incentive, yeah. and it's helping a lot of people out. You know, we just act like these problems are insurmountable, and they're, and they're not. And Boomer, that word incentive, the incentive to host a postseason game, it's what keeps the games in-season meaningful. It's what doesn't devalue the season. And I, and I know that's an argument I've given in the past with, with playoffs, but as long as you, you have a postseason structure that promotes play throughout the season, nobody wants to see NFL stuff where people are sitting players the last couple of weeks. That's not a step in the right direction for college football. So if you have a postseason that promotes that, that's a bad route to go. But if you can do things in the postseason that helps push teams all the way to the very end to be playing their best ball at the end, and then they're incentivized with you know hosting games or having a bye week or however however the postseason is, stru- is structured, whether you add two or four teams, I-, I don't see that as a negative. And like you said, that's such an easy problem to solve again, you know, because we- we've seen that on Twitter. We've seen that on people arguing this. It's, it's just, oh, what's to stop Alabama from sitting players if they know they're in the playoffs? Well, if it's a matter of Alabama playing in Tuscaloosa in December or going to, say, Madison, Wisconsin in December, mm-hmm. do you think Alabama's going to sit their players and risk coming up here in, you know, late December to play a game? Yeah, they're probably going to want to play their starters at that point. Yeah, it's, yep. it's, it's a huge difference. Yeah. I think it's a big incentive. And, uh, you know, I've always liked, kind of like the 16 playoff scenario where you actually give the top two seeds a bye, which would be a big incentive into itself. And then the seeds three and four get the home game at their home stadium, which is the incentive they want, right? And everything mm-hmm. works out. I think the eight, eight team playoff still can work as, as well as long as, you know, the seeding really counts, which it actually right now isn't that big of a deal. Whether you're a one or four, it's not a huge difference. And, uh, that, that is problematic. So, um, this could be a, a significant upgrade, I think, from that perspective. Yeah. And I think the important part of the eight team playoff is it provides access for everybody. I know people will say, Oh, you've got to have, make sure the playoffs are only for the best teams. Are we really getting that now? Was Oklahoma one of the four best teams in the country this year? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think there were a handful of teams that were better than Oklahoma this year, but they just happened to, to be slotted in there. And But I think it is important. The way college football is currently situated, we're starting the year with over half the teams. You're, you don't have a chance in hell of ever making the, the postseason and winning a championship. I mean, whether it's a group of you're five. Talking group, you're talking group yeah, Whether it's a group of five or even a lot of the, the power five teams. I mean... It's a hard right now. The Pac-12. Yeah, it's a hard slog for a Pac-12 team to lose a game and 
make the postseason. It's it's a hard slog for a lot of the Big 12, unless you're Oklahoma, to lose those games and make the postseason. It would have been harder for Minnesota coming in this year to make the postseason that, than Auburn, and Minnesota just beat Auburn. Yeah, so. yeah, Minnesota has a really hard time because of who they are to make that postseason. No postseason is ever perfect. You know, even the NCAA basketball, you got 68 teams in there. You can always go, oh, 69 or 70 should have been in there. That's fine. There's always going to be arguments. NFL has this. Major League Baseball has arguments over who should be in and who isn't. But you want to try to be as fair as possible. But I think an A-team structure, you get all Power 5 champions in there and the top-rated group of five that leaves a room for two other at-large teams. You can make that work. You incentivize great playing in the regular season because you get home games that first round. You don't even need to play conference championship games. I know people say, oh, well, how are you going to decide who wins? Well, we went decades without conference championship games. And conferences knew how to figure out who won we had a three-team tie in the regular season the big 12 that one year when it was oklahoma texas and texas tech all beat each other and they found a way to figure out who won the freaking conference that year this can be done we act like these problems are insurmountable but they're not well i was going to ask you dave i mean boomers talking about their potentially even getting rid of conference championships altogether but you know, are you in favor of having automatic tie-ins to if you're a conference champion, you are automatically in the, the playoff then if you're a Power 5 champion? Or, or is this truly like the top one through eight? Sure. No, that's a good question. And uh, there's a couple of variables there to, to think about. I think if you keep your conference championship game, there could be a, some value in making sure that's an automatic bid because then those games would suddenly mean a lot, right? If you didn't have that automatic bid and you still have a conference championship game and those two teams are likely both going in, there may not be as much uh, incentive, I suppose. You know, again, home field might be the, the factor that you look for. I don't know. I, I think scheduling plays a lot into this too and how you actually fit all this into a, a logical postseason, right? Because you already have your conference season or conference championship games in early December. And then you would have uh, round one of the 18 playoff happening essentially right now in the one week of the season that there isn't a a lot of football on. It's actually the Army-Navy game weekend, essentially. And then you would have to have your semifinals, I suppose, potentially maybe at bowl sites uh, around New Year's and still have a championship game after that. Um, or there's various other things. I suppose if you eliminate that championship game weekend, then you can move forward round one and give a little bit more flexibility to how you schedule that. I, I, I think the automated bid from the conference championship would make winning your conference mean something, and I think that's mm-hmm. makes a lot yeah. of sense, at least in an 18 playoff. And Boomer's made a point, and maybe you can kind of expand on this, one of the ways, if you're going to still do some type of conference championship, is maybe you get rid of divisions. You know, if you're going to do a conference championship, let's not have redundancy of you're playing the same team you've already played earlier in the year just because they happen to win the other division when maybe you have the best, the second best team is in your existing division, right? You know, so, you know, Alabama and LSU couldn't play this year again. Maybe they should have been able to go, go the Big 12 route. Yeah. 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 If you're going to insist on a conference championship game, that, that makes sense. I mean, why have divisions? Cause that, that was another argument you hear all the time from people that are, that are opposed to the whole automatic championship bids. Cause what happens when that, that nine and four team upsets the 
no-loss team in the conference championship game, they get the automatic bid. Well, get rid of divisions, and you don't have to worry about that. Just either match the top two teams, or, like I said, get rid of the conference championship games altogether, and just end at that normal time when the season's over, and okay, here's our best teams, and here's what it is. I, I, I went through, and I looked back to 2014 when the, the 14 playoffs started. We had taken the, the conference winners, and the best group of five team, and two the two top-rated at-large teams, and kind of seen what playoff structure we would have had. Like this year, part of that, we would have had Ohio State number one seed because, you know, LSU jumped them prior, you know, after the, the conference title game, which is its own controversy. But we would have had them at the number one seed. They would have been playing Memphis. LSU would have been playing Baylor. Clemson would have been playing Georgia. Utah would have been playing Oklahoma. Prior year was Alabama playing Washington. Clemson playing UCF. Notre Dame playing Ohio State. Oklahoma playing Georgia. Again, these all sound like great games. I, I don't see what the problem is with having this kind of a structure. You play that first round at those home stadiums, that gives you incentive to win your conference, play great, schedule hard, be those top-rated seeds. It seems like a, a, no, a no-brainer, a win-win for everybody. I and mean, speaking to uh, the Bulls, you know, um, uh, Jim Delaney did have an, a really good exit interview uh, on the uh, Audible podcast with Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman. And I mean, it seemed like he was kind of saying, hey, this is probably going to happen, 18 playoff. Seemed like he uh, really valued the idea of um, having the automatic bids for the conference championships, and uh, he he pushed for the Rose Bowl being the like the the uh, title location to to Boomer's previous point. So that was very interesting. Sometimes it does come down to money, and those conference championship games, I think SEC and Big Ten in particular, uh, do quite well. The other ones not so much, and so. It's a weird little balance there that there's a couple of conferences that I think would be giving up quite a bit of money um, to not do those conference championship games going forward. I, I guess I would wonder if all those schools are guaranteed a playoff game where it's on TV, maybe in Columbus or in Ann Arbor or in Lincoln. You're going to generate a lot of money from those two. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Those games are on TV. The money's there. An 18 playoff Imagine the TV rights for something like that, whether it's ESPN hosting it or I would imagine Fox Sports would love to bid on that. CBS would. There's there's money to be made for if you could host all if, if you would have all those games on TV. Imagine what you could bid on that. Honky, let me ask you this. Uh, you go to an 18 playoff. How much are we de-emphasizing the rest of the bowl season at this point? I don't think it changes anything from what the current setup is. I mean, right now, the playoff has kind of created a scenario where you're either in those games or the other games just kind of get glossed over. You know, and this year it was particularly weird with how the schedule of everything played. I didn't know when a bowl game was coming up anymore because we'd play the two on Saturday and then here's an Orange Bowl randomly on a Monday night. And then there's, you know, so as long as that's going to happen, I don't really know that it matters if there's a four team or an eight team or a 16 team. I don't really care. It's pretty much, you know, you want to be a part of whatever that playoff structure is. If you want to have a lot of uh, attention sent your way, the rest of the games are just pretty much exhibition games, which are what bowl games initially were intended to be way back in the day. And that's kind of what they've become again. And you'll see it where teams are treating it like that. You know, players, seniors saying, I want to sit out those games and no one really having an issue with that because those games, in a lot of ways, you know, we, we talk about how important it is to get the practices and all that. And there is a lot of truth to it. But outside of that, the games are kind of, they, they don't feel like they have the same value maybe as what a bowl game used to be. Of course, there's also 
twice as many bowl games as there used to be. All right, guys. Well, this has been uh, a fun discussion. I'm sure uh, uh, other people are having this type of discussion this time of year as we uh, look forward to LSU and Clemson uh, taking the field there. Tiger versus Tiger next Monday. All right, let's uh, go into our parting shots. Hockey? Well, first I want to say congratulations to Caleb Banworth, who at the young age of 30 has now been named the head volleyball coach at Ole Miss. Uh, John Cook's coaching tree is looking mighty impressive right now. Speaking of volleyball, the Final Four is in Omaha this next year. There was an article I was reading, a Sipple, and he suggested a week or so back that uh, could this be Cook riding off into the sunset afterward this year? And if he did, it, it's hard to say, but he goes, but I'd watch the hiring of Banworth's replacement closely. It might be Cook's eventual successor. I just thought that was kind of an interesting uh, point there because there is so many people out there right now that, that have Nebraska ties. Louisville's coach has Nebraska connections. Uh, Kentucky coach does. I think Iowa State's coach, and now Ole Miss. I mean, it's an impressive tree that Cook has put together. Uh, kind of a funny story from Sunday. It was after church. And my wife, Kathy, and son, Alex, and I, we go to, to Hy-Vee, and Kathy kind of nudges me, and she says, you know, turn around and look, and I do, and it's it's Coach Osborne and his wife, Nancy, shopping at Hy-Vee. You know, so I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm walking down the one of the aisles, and we look up, and we're walking down one way, and the Osbournes are coming right the other way. And my son, Alex, is playing with the phone, and the game on the phone is Tom the Cat. And for some reason, right as Osborne's coming up to us, he just starts going, Tom, Tom, Tom. Alex is my, my kid is, is screaming Tom and I'm like what the heck and I was like I'm trying to stare down and not look up and not try to and I think Nancy might have kind of giggled a little bit I'm not sure but anyways he was screaming at this cat on the phone but I, I would have done the exact same thing at that age you know just now you raised him right yeah okay that's what it was yeah and really you did about the same thing in high school I remember one time when when Osborne showed up so, yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah I chased him down the the hallways of Scottish like father like son oh and I do want to throw out a thanks here quick to a frost warning uh who gave us a five-star apple podcast review and said this is absolutely that he absolutely loves this show uh thank you frost warning thank you to any other redcaster that goes out there and wants to to give us a five-star review and and feel free to throw some nice words out there too you know we we love to hear the accolades as you can tell dave with his betting problems that he has and and bowl pickums he, he loves to hear the accolades not a problem if you win honky not a problem if you win so we love to hear the nice words all right, Boomer, what do you got? Well, that's way more than I've got. Uh, Dave will work on their gambling problems. You don't want to start until about halfway through a regular season, and you, you know who teams are, and you never bet bowls. That's just that's just a crapshoot. You might as well flip a coin at that point or play rock, paper, scissors for, for money. So we'll work on that. Uh, I just want to remind Husker fans, just enjoy basketball season while it's going, and we're only about a little over a month from baseball season, you know, the first pitch. So there's a lot to look forward to in this offseason. It's not just random football and bleakness so enjoy that a lot of sports coming forward and we'll be here for you go big red that's right boomer baseball i could deliver us a a postseason bid finally all right guys uh fun show fun show looking forward to that national championship game and having mac back with us next week for now let's call that a go big red cast gbr